Hello and welcome to Cartridge Cinema Club, a podcast that is ostensibly about video game movies. (laughs) This episode is episode 113. My name is Mark Champlin. Today I'm joined by Alex Wallace. How is it going, girls and gays? Mark? Yes. I think I hate films again. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, this... This didn't rekindle my love of, of anything. <laughs> oh man, oh man. Um, I think that I think we're gonna have a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think maybe films are evil and uh, wrong, and uh, not, you shouldn't make them. <laughs> would, I, would you say that uh, that the real Phantom Menace was movies all along? What? Um. So. Mark, I'm going to ask you two questions instead of the usual one question. The first question is, what did we watch right. this week? And then the second question is, uh, why did we watch this? <laughs> okay, there's a lot of ways for me to answer that second one. Uh, we watched the beginning, uh, making episode one. It is a 2001 documentary film that uh, details the making of Star Wars episode one, colon, The Phantom Menace, 1999. You've seen it. Uh, I'm I'm so sorry. If you, if you uh, have if you yeah. somehow haven't, I guess pause this podcast and go watch the Phantom Menace. Oh, you gotta watch! You gotta watch the Phantom Menace, and, then, and so that you can watch this documentary. <laughs> what are many chlorians? So take like three hours to watch the Phantom Menace and the documentary about the Phantom Menace, and then come back and listen to the podcast. Um, it, it will truly be worth your time, and I'm not kidding. No. On anyway. Um. So what so was why? the other question? The other question was why. Why? Um. Well, from a podcast standpoint, uh, because sometimes we need a break um, from watching fighting game movies from the 2000s. Uh, we've been taking more and more of these breaks. Don't worry, we'll 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 get our comeuppance for this. Trust me. Um, and uh, I guess just conceptually, uh, because this is. This movie is important for Cartridge Cinema Club lore. I feel like we've been building up to it all along. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just (laughs) the idea that, uh, not that we hate CGI, but that we resent the way that movies do not feel real anymore. They feel like they are made in a box, um, and they feel uh, like they've lost a lot of their energy that only practical effects and real sets and things of that nature can bring. Uh, obviously, a lot of terrible action movies from the 2010s have inspired these feelings. Uh, we've seen many of them. We've seen all Resident Evil movies. No, not a single shot of any of those movies looks like real people uh, were there um, <clears throat> and weren't on a soundstage that looks completely blue. Um, and this documentary really just details the making of the first one of those. And it's actually really interesting because... The Phantom Menace is a movie that that lies in between two worlds, uh, the world of practical effects and the world of shitty everything filmed on a soundstage while the director sits in a chair and drinks coffee um, type of movie making. And George Lucas is very largely responsible for proving that it can be done this way. And uh, it's cheaper. It's easier. You can crank out movies left and right like this nowadays and and we don't like it. Uh, and also communism. Uh, we're going to talk about how that ties into it as well. Um, so broadly, that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think I also I think it's 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 uh it's significant because the Phantom Menace is a video game movie <laughs> and the Star oh, Wars prequels are video game movies because they look like video games and then obviously like the existence of of the of the Star Wars films in general and especially the Star Wars prequels uh have you know left a lasting impact on video games and what they look like and how they sound and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's, this is a significant text, uh, for, yeah, for Cartridge Cinema Club lore, as you Mm -hmm. said. Um, so, you know, not, not so much of a plot this week, but I want to kind of dig into the, just kind of start digging into the weeds of what this thing actually is, because it's a really compelling product. Um... (laughs) So, the documentary itself. Yeah, the documentary itself, not the Phantom Menace. Well, the Phantom Menace is also a compelling product. Um, oh, I'll, I'll go with you there. But, I will. But, but maybe not for the reasons that uh, they intended. Um, <laughs> right, so this is, this is a documentary about the making of the Phantom Menace. Um, it is utterly unbelievable that it exists. Um, because there's, there's no fucking magic to this thing. This is, this is the most unromantic view of star wars that i have ever seen uh it's it's okay so this is a film that consists entirely of behind the scenes production footage there are no interviews to provide further context there is no music anywhere at all it is it is a dead silent film until there are people actually playing instruments on screen um it is it is just it is fluorescent white buzz and people talking this this is a movie with budget meetings in it um it's it is a slow awkward film that is a look at filmmaking as it truly is it is a look at filmmaking as the day job that it is it is the a look at filmmaking as the a bunch of people show up and they don't know what the fuck's going on and oh the boss asked us to do some bullshit so we gotta redo everything. It is it's that view of making a blockbuster film and we don't get that anymore. This is not a documentary that Disney would make post twenty twelve no. purchase of Star Wars. This is the polar opposite of the of the making. I've seen the making of the Last Jedi, and all they do is talk about how much Disney magic has been injected into these movies. Yeah. This is the opposite of that. It's and it's incredibly well executed. It, yeah, it is. It is what it's trying to do. Yeah, it is deliberately all of these things. Is is yeah. is the point? Like this. This is a film that was released two years after the Phantom Menace comes out, right? And it very much feels like a film that has been made with the context that this movie was like a complete critical bomb and like the fan base of Star Wars universally like loathed this film basically when it came out. Um, It's also a film that seems to understand that it is like a log of the death of practical effects in traditional movie making like the it's <sighs> it has to have been there 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 are too many intentional moments yeah, that like, show cuz what that. Do, what do, what have we learned from listening to cartridge cinema club the documentaries are made by people who have an agenda yes. and have a point of view that they are trying to communicate using the cuts and every, say the say the line alex <laughs> documentaries <laughs> are bullshit um but like and 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 and, and you know and so every single cut is a decision and this is nothing but just cuts and decisions about what to pull right because it's yeah. just the behind the scenes footage and yes. you know they choose to leave in 
the scene where George Lucas is micromanaging the hairdresser. They choose to leave in the part where, like, George Lucas uh, goes into the editing booth and convinces them to splice two completely different shots together because he didn't like the way one of the actors walked. And then it, like, cuts back to the guy in the editing booth and he's just like, yeah, you know, that's that's uh, that's what George likes to do. You know, he likes to direct in the editing booth. It's, uh, you know, we're really, really opening up a, a whole new, new, new world with, with this stuff. And it's just like not even trying not to sound bitter it yeah. looks like it looks it, it sounds like he doesn't even know that the film is rolling like it he's so fucking mask off in his like annoyance for george and what he's doing with this project <laughs> this movie has such a dim view of george lucas yeah honestly and like, like and, and, and shockingly like, so and they and it's like well with the the footage they had that's in this and the footage that i imagine they had to that they already cut kind of hard not to have a dim view of george lucas like mm -hmm. it's yeah it the the intent of this is so apparent the movie opens and it's george lucas talking about auteur theory and like talking about how like the the writer director is is you know is sort of the visionary yeah. is the singular artist um, and, and then for an hour it proceeds to <laughs> and then, like, take that apart. I mean, like, the next scene after that is him standing in front of a room full of people who clearly think he's full of shit. <laughs> as he is, oh, is that the storyboard scene? Yeah, as he is going oh, through a storyboard with a highlighter and going, this is going to be real, this is going to be CGI, this is going to be real, this is going to be CGI. <laughs> like, it's like... As if, as if he, like, knows for sure which will work best. Like, these are not things that, like, an executive producer should, like, be concerning himself he, with, frankly. Yeah, he, I mean, he comes off in this film as someone who is in way over his head and doesn't know what he's doing. And everyone just goes along with everything that he says because he's George Lucas and he made Star he Wars. Made, and what are you going to do? He made two very good movies and one okay movie. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 really something. Like this movie has a scene where they all they watch the first rough cut and then they all go, "Fuck!" Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, like, there's a part where he where where like one of them says like, you know, if this is if this was confusing for, I think George Lucas in fact says George says it. Yeah, yep. he says, "Wow, if this you know if this was confusing for us, imagine how it's going to be for normal people." He he tries to make like he tries to make light of it. He's like, "Well, that pod racing scene sure was a was hard to watch, but you know they 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 they're not going to be looking at the background. They're they're going to be listening to the music. It's okay." Everyone like laughs in the most like horrified forced laugh tone they can because they know that their movie's a piece of shit and it's too late to change it. <laughs> yeah. It's like the move the the movie ends with like B-roll from the midnight premiere of Phantom Menace doesn't show anybody reacting to the film. Nope. And then just shows George Lucas starting the script for Attack of the Clones in a notebook, which is probably fake, <laughs> by the way. Um right. And then it just cuts to credits with no music, like no Star Wars theme starts up. It's just silent credits over like room noise from when they were practicing the stunts. And that's it. 
<laughs> like, un- how did... Un- an unbelievable film. I can't believe this exists on the official Star Wars YouTube channel. So, some Kathleen Kennedy has not realized yet that this is still up on the YouTube channel. She, she if she knew, she'd be like, "Cut it, cut it." We still, we Phantom Menace is still profitable enough that we can't let people see this. Yeah, because like you can't, you can't have this, right? No, it has no. to. Phantom Menace has to be. Because it's part of the Star Wars saga that's so important to all of us, right? It's part of our mm-hmm. cultural canon. It's part of, you know, it's it's these are our modern folk tales, folks. Uh, uh, and they... so and so you can't we can't have this this uh you know this portrayal of Star Wars now where we all know that the Phantom Menace sucked, but Disney isn't gonna be like, haha, the Phantom Menace sucked. Yeah, it's no, because they still can sell Darth Maul shit. Because Darth Maul is cool. They can still sell that double lightsaber. So they need this movie to exist in some way, shape, or form and not be loathed. And I, yeah, it's, it's yeah, man. Mark. Uh, so what were your uh, what were your general thoughts? <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so that's the plot. Um, yeah, so moving that's the on. Plot. <laughs> um, I. Uh, you know, my, my the biggest highlight here for me was seeing th- there's there's a sort of blissful ignorance to the actors in this movie. Yeah, where um, it's sad. Part it, it's a little bit sad, but but also you know, Ewan McGregor. I mean, he was already a very successful actor at this time, but he really made his name um, as Obi Wan Kenobi, and he's b- far and away has become culturally the most beloved part of this uh, prequel trilogy. So much so that like the fans bullied Disney into making more (laughs) Obi-Wan Kenobi shit. And they're coming out with a series eventually. Uh, Ewan McGregor and, and Ray Park uh, who plays Darth Maul um, are just delightful um, with their like dueling practice. That was a big highlight for me. Um, the, the part where uh, where yeah. where Ewan McGregor uh, gets like uh, where he gets like thrown off of uh, like mm-hmm. he's doing a stunt and gets like like catapulted in the air and lands on a big air mattress and then he's like pull himself up and he goes they asked me if I wanted to do Star Wars I said too fucking right <laughs> too too, fu- too fucking right and yeah. that's now that is the only unedited fuck in the movie because <laughs> there was no I just there was no way to to cut that it it's was so too powerful. good of a line you can't not have it in there there's a part where he he's like uh, I wake up every morning and I hope today is going to be the day where I choose my lightsaber <laughs> and they 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 show him like a, a set a set director comes out with a box and opens it up and you can basically hear the Zelda lullaby play <laughs> and and he gets to choose from an array of six lightsabers and he's like I think this is Obi Wan's lightsaber yeah and it's just like he's taking this so seriously in this movie that ends up being for babies and it doesn't even succeed at that and it's just and fucking uh ray park is like a like a martial arts master like in real life um he's just incredible uh with his uh he just nails that choreography and i it's so recognizable like the 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 lightsaber duel in the phantom menace um, some people don't like it because reasons because they watch too much plinket uh that shit's cool i don't care yeah Um, it's it's a wonderfully uh it's shot interestingly uh that and the the choreography is amazing and they just they just kill it i don't know that was my rant about how lightsabers are cool because (laughs) if you've listened to any of this podcast you know that i that i generally like star wars and i also don't (laughs) i don't hate the phantom menace i think it's (laughs) 
I think it's pretty okay, but it's just got it's just what it represents. Yeah, um, it's just very dark and and sinister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think well, how, I think what the did most you think about I it? think the most tragic figure in this, uh, besides Jake Lloyd, which we'll get to, um, oh, is the guy they have playing Jar Jar, like the guy who's oh, doing yeah. who's in in the in the Jar Jar motion uh, capture suit. Ahmed Best. Ahmed yeah. Best. Incre- yeah. Just real fuck. Just charmer. Absolute. Just incredible oh charisma on this man and yeah. every and like george lucas is like jar jar is the key to all of this because he's the funniest character we've ever had in star wars and it's just like <laughs> the, the, the it's 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 really fucked up uh that uh that uh they had a uh that they had a black man uh motion capture for jar jar and then overdubbed his voice with like a pigeon version of a jamaican accent i think that's very racist that they did that um co-signs <laughs> yeah no, I, I have major problems with that um there's yeah the, we're, we're not gonna probably touch on it that much because it doesn't come up in the the film that we watched but yeah a lot of just blatant racism in the the non-human creatures in <laughs> the phantom yeah. Menace. not great um yeah, yeah. any any other thoughts <laughs> uh general thoughts before we before we move on there mark uh d- d- damn is john williams a powerful figure in film (laughs) um watching him uh, just no nonsense get up there and direct the fucking london symphony orchestra and this gigantic vocal choir playing duel of the fates uh which is the it's the the, 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 it's the that it's that song it's the Um, only part of the movie that feels magic at all the the moments in the Phantom Menace when the when the blast doors open and the the choir comes in and Darth Maul like ignites his lightsaber, like you will never like <laughs> no one has ever forgotten that. But like everyone has forgotten the rest of that movie because it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> but it's all because of that music. I mean George George Lucas was not fucking kidding when he basically was like. Well, you know, the music is going to save this scene and this scene uh, because uh, we know that they suck. And at least the music will be And John Williams is going to... All Johnny Boy is going to pull through for us. He's seriously... The, I mean, the soundtracks for these three prequels are just as good, if not better, than the original trilogy. Like, yep. they they really are. Anyway, th- yep. that's that's really all I got. Um, th- This thing is... I can't believe this thing exists. Uh, once yeah, this was... um, I... I oh, fuck, man. Like, okay, I'm going to get a little, we're, we're going to be getting a little real on this week's episode quite a few times. Um, I got to say, this was like a deeply uncomfortable and anxiety-inducing watch for me. I had like a pit in my stomach the entire time. Um, so let's, le- let's learn a little bit about Alex here. So I've been uh, working on a, a feature-length documentary for uh, four years now, um, pretty much entirely in my spare time. Uh, which, uh, if you've never done that before, it's really fucking hard to do that. Um, and it takes a long time. And, uh, a lot of the time you doubt yourself, uh, and your ability to complete the project, uh, and your ability to do anything at all. Um, and right now I'm going through the process of taking like the rough cut of the film, which is just like two hours of interviews back to back and going, okay, how do we go from this to like a visual experience how do we go from like this skeleton to an actual movie uh and it's fucking terrifying it's so fucking scary um and 
I hate George Lucas in this because he's like the most mediocre white man in the universe. And he just has unlimited wealth and resources. And I just despise that about him. But also I am George Lucas. Also at the at the at the point in early on in the movie, he's like trying to explain how the plot is gonna work. To like he's he's like it's like he's realizing out loud that the movie has two climaxes. He he realizes that the movie has a pod race and also they need to have a giant like space battle with also an army battle with also a lightsaber fight at the end and he's like well i don't know how we're gonna top the pie race but oh well this other climax will happen and then and he kind of like talks himself out of it a little bit and then he goes hopefully it'll work um which is a thing that i've said so many times <laughs> about my own work where it's just like well i have this really big vision for what i want to do with this um, and I'm going to really try to create this sort of, uh, emotional resonance through these techniques and hopefully it'll work. And watching this movie is hard because it doesn't, it didn't work. The movie fucking, the movie was bad. Like sure, he made a bajillion dollars and he'll be rich forever and he's George Lucas. So who fucking cares? And I don't really feel bad for him. I don't, I don't care, but this is rough <laughs> for me. It was I felt sick watching this. It was hard. It, was, it sounds yeah. like it's interesting because it sounds like for you that the, there were like a lot of humanizing moments for George that I didn't necessarily feel because I'm not a filmmaker. But like, yeah, that's hearing you describe that really puts those scenes in a new light. Yeah, it's I it's yeah, it's rough. It's it, this is a dark movie. Like, it's really like it's it's a really like tragic, sad film in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, so <laughs> we should probably continue talking about George here. Yeah. <laughs> by proxy, the other people who are responsible for this film. <laughs> yeah. I swear that I saw the assistant director's eye twitch the first time that we saw him on camera. More than once. Like, this, and, this and it's guy. like they're sitting in a room and George is at a desk and he's like sitting in a chair and George is just kind of rambling and it's like very, as he does yeah and it's like like every time george lucas is talking about what he wants to do and like or like trying to like be a producer or be a director in this movie it sounds like he's just making it up off the top off the dome like he has no idea what he's talking about um yeah i don't know thoughts mark man there there are so many just individual moments where george will say something and like the editor or the executive producer rick mccallum uh will just share knowing looks with each other and it all gets caught like on film this is, this is why we say that like you know this is the footage they got maybe they didn't set out to make a a movie about how george lucas is like incompetent as a movie maker or like has too much power but that is the story of this movie um he, he he'll just say shit like he, he's like well this movie is it's bold in terms of like jerking people around from one scene to another but i may have gone too far in some places but you know that that's how it's meant to be stylistically and you can just see like rick mccallum be like you can't just fucking say that like in his brain, you just. God, this is why this is such a fucking like terrified film to watch as a filmmaker because you're just like, am I doing that? Did I just talk myself into thinking that this is gonna work? Like, oh god, it's rough. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's yeah, and 
Oh, man. Yeah, Rick McCallum is like the maybe like the, one of the protagonists of this yeah movie. He, he's the producer and it's just like he's just trying to keep it i mean he's a producer and that's what producers do they just try to keep the shit fucking moving man they're just yeah. trying to get every, they're just trying to get the project from point a to point b yeah if george is in over his head imagine how in over his head george's boss is <laughs> trying to handle george yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's it, this is a tragic person and um man yeah it's yeah it, it's it is truly astonishing the amount of times that george lucas like it has a moment of clarity and like clearly knows that the movie's not gonna work like he like he yeah. like it, it's like he he says things where it's just like yeah you know like that's 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 the biggest uh trap that people fall into with these with these big movies is sometimes sometimes they go too far and then there'll just be like a silence <laughs> it's just like uh, um, you want to talk about child labor? <laughs> it's the talking of tragic figures in, in this movie. Um, dude, this, this is fucked up. This is fucked up. So Jake Lloyd, um, it's the, he's the, he is the small child that plays Anakin Starwalk, Skywalker in Phantom Menace. And why was he Star, so fucking Star young? Man. Why did he, why did he have to be this young? They, I, it, it couldn't have been like a like a twelve year old who like is twenty in the next movie. It had to be like this kid's six or Dude, some shit. He's the, so he's the, there is a scene in this film where Jake Jake Lloyd, a literal child who like is like like shy awkward kid who can kind of barely put his sentences together, is shown signing a legally binding contract as a room full of grown adults like cheers and claps for him it's like, fucked up they're like talking about how impressive it is that he learned cursive so he could sign his name on this contract and they're like what did you tell your friends at school he's like um uh i told them that i'm going to film star wars it's like this this is this kid has no fucking yeah, clue it's like oh on. yeah just like let this kid sign up to just be like put in front of millions and millions of people and have his image in front of everyone everywhere and license his image away to be sold on lunchboxes and shit I, I, as I a literally fucking like a... six-year-old it's like it's just it's 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 horrible there's a lego figurine of jake lloyd in my house like it's yeah i it's it really yeah yeah just <laughs> i mean and this is and also this is happening all the time always it's just gross to see it. It's just, like this is—it's literally—it's just child labor. They—it's literally just child labor. Yeah, parents like money. It turns out. It's like, yeah. on, like that's what this is. All right. Um, we want to talk about it. The oh, big, oh, the, oh big, the, the big thing. The the reason that we made this episode. You want to talk <laughs> yeah. about? Um, um, uh, yeah. You you had a preamble. You wanted to clarify some yeah. things. So okay. Um, things that I am, that we are not about to say, uh, for, about, during the rest of this episode. One, uh, that I, you know, that we believe that, like, CGI is, like, an inherently lifeless or, like, unappealing art form, and there's no way to artistically use CGI, uh, as, as the sort of, uh, medium of visual effects for your film. Plenty of, 
fantastic films with striking art styles that incorporate CGI into the look. Y'all ever seen Shin Godzilla? That shit's fucking amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Number two, uh, that we, like, believe that practical effects are superior to CGI in every possible scenario for every film, <laughs> right? There are certainly times where, yeah, sometimes you should use CG because you're not going to be able to do it with a puppet and, you know, maybe you want to do this and this and that. Um, and and last thing, uh, I'm not, we're not saying um, that there is like, there there is like a moral superiority to the mm-hmm. use of practical effects. I mean, like, you know, the use of CGI does require a lot of labor that is frequently abused, but you know what? Probably so did the practical sets in The Phantom Menace, so. That's totally fair. That is not yeah. what we are about to get at. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to say, yeah, that, I feel like people do say that, and I wanted to, we want to separate ourselves from, like, being like, it's not real music, you made it in a computer. Like, yeah. that's not what we're saying. Yeah, there's, the, I, but, and, like, that's the thing, is, like, I've been thinking about this all week. Like, because we talked about it on the last Starfighter episode, um, and then I was like, okay, if we're going to do this Star Wars episode, like, I'm, I, I, I'm going to be thinking about this in the shower all week, and then we're recording. And so I, like, <laughs> wanted to clarify, like, where I'm kind of coming at this from, because I have some pretty particular thoughts um because with all that said this movie is fucking tragic like it's mark do you want to talk about yoda it's fucking a man um so so the history of yoda in the phantom menace is actually a a long and storied history over the years uh, the version of The Phantom Menace that I grew up with was a VHS copy that was purchased uh, in the year 2000 when the movie came out on VHS. Um, that is the version that I have seen countless times. Uh, and that version had a, the original version of Yoda, um, which was a puppet that was puppeteered by a real-life Frank Oz, yep. uh, master puppeteer yep. and he was on, He was on The Muppets and Sesame Street and also a million other things, such as yeah. Star Wars as Yoda and many other characters. His performance as Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back, cannot you cannot overstate how, like, he, like— brought that trilogy together with his like with that one scene where he like lifts the x-wing out of the swamp i and his explanation of the force i digress he is in this movie and he is the puppeteer and he does so fucking good and he dude it's crazy when they it like looks so good that, when, they, that when they bring the the yoda puppet out and he is not controlling it and it just looks like a doll and it's like oh yeah and then as soon as frank oz is controlling yoda that thing is a lie it's yeah. incredible. I so episode two and episode three also feature Yoda, um, but in the words of George Lucas, we're gonna finally get to see him swing his laser sword around, um, and he is completely CG in that in those two movies, and uh, it looks like dog shit and. Because George Lucas can never be satisfied making a product that's just kind of bad, he needs to make it worse, always. <laughs> he went back with the, I believe, with the first DVD release in like the early 2000s and demanded that Yoda be redone to be CG 
in the Phantom Menace as well in order to to create some, I guess, a sense of consistency throughout the trilogy. This was a horrible decision and also fucking tragic because literally in this film, in this documentary, you see maybe the saddest scene in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's Frank Frank Oz watching a monitor, seeing Watto, the the the, the racist junk dealer from Tatooine, um, a fully CG character, uh, but nonetheless like somewhat impressive for the time. He, he's watching it and he's. The, the the tone of Frank Oz's voice is the tone of like of like a person who sees their ex-partner with a new partner that they're much happier with. Yeah, the way and he says like, yeah, that's great, he's George. Like, he's like, George, that th- this looks really good. I'm 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 I, I really it's really cool what you're doing here. And then he kind of offhandedly, half joking but really not joking at all, is like, you don't need me anymore, George. And George says, Nah, we'll always need you, Frank. Um, and then he proceeded to, uh, never use him as a puppeteer again and only use him as a voiceover. Uh, and it wasn't until 2018 that Frank Oz got to play puppet Yoda again, like a a full 20 years later. It's, it's fucking man that they really, he, he is the, he saw the writing on the wall, man. He yeah. fucking called it right then and there. I mean, that, th- like, that because this when... movie's so fucked up, right? Because, like, they have... There's sets in this in The Phantom Menace. There's miniatures in The Phantom... Like, the pod... Like, the pod racing oh, cars man. are real. Yeah. And they look the, amazing! Yeah, the, they yeah, look the, so the, good! They, they show the filming of this one particular pod race stunt where one of the pods blows up. And the, I didn't know this, but but because I've seen this movie a million times. But that was a practical effect. That was a miniature of the pod... Like probably like each engine is about the size of a person's head, and is a dude underneath a wooden platform shaking it with his arms, and then like an actual like explosive, like practical explosive blows up, and uh, there's a scene where a dude they're they're in a hallway like in Theed Palace, and it's an actual like hallway in like France or I, I don't know. I think it's in Italy. It like yeah, Italy. Yeah, and and he's just like yeah, you know, we got a matte painting of Naboo that we're gonna put in the back here. Uh, George said he didn't like these light fixtures, so we're gonna take them down and put up some new kind of space looking light fixtures. And we and out this other this other hallway, we're gonna have a bunch of droids standing there. It's gonna look real good. Pretty standard shot, and it's like. This is one of the only shots in the entire prequel movie that had only like one or two special effects and everything else was just a set. And and those parts look good. Like to be clear, those parts have an artistry to them and they, they really do hold up and it's so glaring when you watch like a 4k Blu-ray of this movie and you see the parts that are real and then like a fucking PS2 Yoda Yoda comes in (laughs) PS2 Watto comes in. It's fuck, man. Ugh. It's, it's a um, movie that's tra- it's a it's a movie that's trapped between two worlds, and it will forever. And as time goes on, those two worlds become more and more distinct from each other. Yeah, it, it's like it's 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 one of the last ones of these that ever existed in a weird way, but it's also the first one of the other ones that existed. You know, it's uh-huh. it's exactly. fucked up. Um, yeah. So, so like I said, I've been turning my head. This I've been turning this over in my head a lot. Uh, this past week um so uh so so Karl Marx talks about uh talks about alienation under capitalism um wherein 
as a member of the the proletariat as a member of the working class you are alienated from the fruits of your labor um you know you do not you like you make something in a factory but you don't get to either get the profits from it or you don't get to have the thing you know you can spend your entire life in a chocolate farm without ever tasting chocolate you know um in the 21st century i think um for some people there is now this sort of additional layer of of abstraction wherein not only are you uh alienated from the fruits of your labor not only are you alienated from you know uh the benefits of your labor you know the profit from your labor but you know um not only are you alienated from the the product that you've created but the the product that you've created is intangible the the product that you've created is nothing right uh you know the product that you've created is you move some numbers on a spreadsheet um you know and like i you know i grew up using the internet every day of my life basically i grew up playing video games all the time i still play video games all the time i host a podcast about video games i work in the esports industry where largely my job is to move things around on spreadsheets and type words on a screen that are nothing right it's that's it's intangible i'm making a film that when it's done it won't be a physical thing it's not going to be a film reel right that i stitched together with my hands right it's going to be a file on a computer um and i think that that has led me to become someone who like really values physicality uh in my life because it's something that we're just deprived of so much um like i've started going to the woods a lot and buying a lot of acoustic instruments and my partner has like a polaroid camera and we're taking pictures and you have like one physical picture and here is this object and this is this picture um and watching films where practical effects are used which was basically like basically gone by the time i was a conscious person right because the phantom menace came out in 1999 when i was four right and so practical effects are not something that like i sort of had and then lost really it's something that i i have like as I've gone, as I've gotten older, as I went to film school and realized how fucking hard making movies is, as I like took a production class and realized like, God, just lighting this room and making everything work and shooting this six times and God, we don't even have an alien head that shoots blood out of it. Imagine how hard it is with that. Like building that appreciation for that craft allowed me to like go back and watch a movie like Alien or watch, you know, uh, like old Godzilla movies and just be like, holy shit. Like the, the the artistry that was required to make these things happen is unbelievable. And I'm not saying that CGI doesn't have artistry, that there isn't anything. Like people pour their hearts and souls into animating characters for these films. But like, it's, it is that further layer of abstraction from the filmmaking process as i'm watching it it's just like well 
I mean, they could have made anything here. I, I don't know. Like I said, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point about how I'm, like, better than other people because I like puppets, you know? Um, <laughs> I just think it's sad. Um, and I, I, and it, like, I don't know. It's something that I just deeply appreciate. And, you know, it's certainly still around, you know? Certainly you can still see, like, films here and there that use practical effects, TV shows here and there that use practical effects. Like, it's, it's out there, but, like you know there there was a time where that that was the craft and now it isn't anymore that's not um you know that's no longer the valued skill set and like the thing is it's like you watch this movie and you get it because they literally lose a goddamn set to a storm in this movie yeah like there's a, they go they like they're like they're actually out there when they're doing the Tatooine scenes they're actually out in a goddamn desert with this set that looks like a shitty little village and like there's a part there's a point in this movie where like they shoot their first day on that set and then it goes to nighttime and it just it just the rain just destroys everything the rain and the wind and it just it's devastating they they, they can't find Liam Neeson's wig the entire <laughs> like wardrobe gets blown away and lost they yeah. have to make a new wardrobe yeah and like and, and it's another one of those movies where, it's another one of those moments where you're like oh the movie knows because they they yeah. fade from that sh from a a wide shot of this like dilapidated set um and they do a crossfade it's the only crossfade in this documentary um where they overlay a, a wide shot of the sound stage over that set and then they just continue and it's just like man <laughs> Who made this, like, <laughs> who directed this movie and how did they get away with this? They, I, I feel like whoever made this just, like, they must have, like, gone to live in a commune and never looked at a movie again. <laughs> like, it, it, it has that energy. Yeah, it's like, it. it's, like a, it's like a treatise against films. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really something. Um, anything else you want to you wanna talk about before we move on here, Mark? Um man it's yeah it's just it's just something that's been lost um and that i have grown an appreciation for uh, despite not having like practical effects will not be put in front of you naturally it's something you have to seek out it's uh i i compare it to how much i love like the super nintendo now like i was i was too young to appreciate it at the time but like i go back and play yoshi's island on a crt and nothing in the world and like my, my most of my favorite games are from the 360 onward but and and we're not saying those games are bad but there is something lost there yeah i mean i, I cannot I was, be regained yeah i was thinking about that this in the context of how much i do love video games and the yeah. thing and one of the things that i realized is like if i really think about the games that i love the most they are the games that still incorporate that level of physicality because the analog stick exists, mm -hmm. you know, or, or the and that's a physical yeah. mechanism uh, with sort of, you know, uh, th that like inputs on like a GameCube analog stick feel like organic in a way that mm -hmm. it rarely feels to play most games. And like, I think about playing like, 
Super Monkey Ball. And the reason that I like Super Monkey Ball so much is because it feels like I'm physically moving something around, you know? I mean, fuck it, Pong. Like, yeah. if you played Pong on, like, like with a, those like analog one of those knobs? Do- yeah. Those knobs? There's no feeling in the world like that. Like, you cannot... <laughs> <laughs> Play, <laughs> playing Dark Souls does not feel like that. Like, no. <laughs> well, I mean, Dark Souls is also... No, not going to talk about Dark Souls. Moving on. <laughs> but, yeah, playing the Xbox 360 at 25 to 30 frames per second on an HDTV with input lag natively, it, it does not feel... <laughs> Nope. Like that it's a, it's a, it's that yeah that the that is like another further layer of, of abstraction it's it's it, weird yeah. i don't know man it like it's it's fucked because i have like i you know i grew up f- through all of this and it, it is my life in a lot of ways you know but it's also like something that i have felt compelled to pull myself away from more and more because i think it i think it can be deeply alienating when like Mm-hmm. the most profound experiences of your life were all experienced through a screen. It's a little, it can, it can be kind of a rough feeling. And like, I, you know, I don't know. And that, that's not to like, you know, I, I, it's, that's not me like shitting on people. That's me saying that I'm like there with you. And, and like, I don't know. I think that, um, trying to find ways to engage with the physical world more um is healing in some ways i think even you know like even if you know i i I don't yeah i don't know i hope good go make out in a tree yeah i don't know know. (laughs) maybe the last thing i'm gonna say is i want to give a big shout out to the practical effects dyke um (laughs) if you know who this woman is please tell me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I, because because she has my heart there's there's a there's a there's a there's a person who we see like a few times in this film who is just like shaved head piercings all over making rubber masks that look yep. like aliens for people and like there's a point where like she she puts the mask on this dude and starts at and and like asks him like oh you know is the is the mouth moving right does this feel correct to you and like the dude makes some gross joke he's just like uh, he's like, he's like, you know, normally you have to pay to have a woman do something like this to you. And then she goes, well, not me, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, yes. oh God. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. Fuck Anthony Daniels. First of all, yeah. uh, voice of C3PO, uh, for being like a sexist piece of shit right there. And she was just like, huh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like very, very much like, yeah, in your dreams, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, I, don't give a, I don't give a fuck that you're C-3PO. Shut up. Yes. If you, yeah. If you know who that VFX artist is, please let me know because just incredible. Um, so, uh, we, uh, so we have to, we have to do some penance now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, just like I said, broke the format. <laughs> Uh, there's a so there's a king of fighters movie <laughs> known, known by fans as kof 2010 um it's it's gonna be one of those there's probably gonna be a tournament uh, it's probably it's probably gonna be the the a, a bad guy in like a, a a black set of karate clothes and mm-hmm. he's gonna be the bad guy um i think they the, made, i think they I, I i think i have seen a picture of what terry looks like in this movie and i think they made him a twink so let's well, here we go twink, tw- twink terry as opposed to himbo terry this is a yeah. it's, it's a choice it's a choice um yes terry is the only thing i know 
from KOF. I'm sorry, fighting game fans. Uh, I've only played fighting games that are designed by Masahiro Sakurai, so I, I only know what he spoon feeds me. Masahiro Sakurai and Magus. <laughs> yeah, mm, uh huh. Yeah, big big time actually. You know what? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the, the only thing I wanted to say, uh, uh, shout outs to Ray Park, uh, who plays Darth Maul, um, who is in this movie as Rugal Bernstein. Like, what are the chances? We that that obviously was not intentional, but uh, just very funny. Yeah, and, just um, watching two two of the best films from uh, Ray Park's filmography here: the beginning colon the making of Episode One and King of Fighters. <laughs> n- n- notable for his role as dude who's excited to be in the star wars movie in actually the best thing that ray park does in this documentary is when uh like they so they're like trying to do a stunt where ewan mcgregor is like jumping on a trampoline to to get up onto the onto the floor and they're like no the the trampoline looks bad you can tell he's bouncing on something so they just makeshift get a big piece of wood and have ewan mcgregor stand on it and they have like eight dudes just hold the board and just push him (laughs) up and and I love it because you you can tell that it's an on the fly uh, decision because Ray Park is holding the big piece of wood in his dark ball makeup. Yes. Art from adversity, man. Fucking figure it out. We gotta film this movie. We gotta get it done. Yeah. Uh, th- we already aren't doing this part in a computer. We have one day. It's yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Um. Um, well, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> boy, that's okay. Well, uh, where can people find the podcast on the internet, Mark? Uh, two, two long ones in a row. Uh, yeah, you, you, you can find us at Cartridge Cinema on Twitter. That's Twitter at Cartridge Cinema. Join the Discord. Uh, it's linked uh, on the Twitter. Uh, uh, d- submit your corrections. I don't <laughs> think I've made any mistakes this week. Uh, iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud as well as your favorite podcasting app. These are just some of the many places that you can listen to us uh, on. Uh, you should rate us, uh, especially on iTunes. That does uh, help uh, help us maintain our spot as the undefeated number one, uh, ostensibly about video games, uh, gay communist uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, fuck, man. What is, the, what is my life? Um, uh, the, the music is by DJ Tin Man. The art is by Courtney Kaufman. For me, it was Tuesday. Oh, man. I don't want to talk about GameStop, do you? No, absolutely not. No, I'm so fucking not interested. I, I, listen, I, you can go look at my tweets. I had several takes if you want. Fucking... I, every afternoon, usually, I like to tune in to, uh, to like, news or streams or whatever. I like to watch Hassan Piker. He's, like, a leftist streamer who talks about the news. All week, he's been talking about fucking GameStop, and I'm like, well... There goes my like afternoon entertainment because I don't care and it makes me actively mad. Uh, um, worth understanding what's going on because it's good to have a material understanding of what's going on in the world. Also, no, this is not a socialist revolution and it is not a working class movie and it is an aspirational capitalist movement. Um, uh, uh, fuck cops. Don't join the military. Fuck Joe Biden. Fuck Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Sophie. Rest in peace, Doom. All caps when you spell them both. Yes. That's all I got. Fuck hedge funds. uh, Yeah. Even if they're... (laughs) Oh, yeah. To be clear, fuck fuck hedge funds. (laughs) Fuck democratized hedge funds also. The point is that we shouldn't have hedge funds. Anyway, yeah. We should have ended with uh, with R.I.P. Doom, R.I.P. Sophie. Honestly. Okay. That's it. Bye. (laughs) That's a podcast. Bye.